Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Created by an all-female team, the new musical, Jinnah and the Stem Sisters, has a goal to inspire young people, especially girls, to engage with and possibly pursue an interest in science, technology, engineering, and math. STEM Sisters celebrates the achievements, discoveries, and stories of a diverse range of historical women who fought prejudice and social convention in the name of scientific inquiry. Created by the award-winning Children's Music Education and Performance Program, HMDT Music, today I'm delighted to be chatting with the company's creative director, Tersha Sefton-Green. Welcome, Tersha. Hello, Louise. It's absolutely lovely to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So can you tell us, what is HMDT Music? So HMDT Music had its 25th birthday last year, and it started as a small charity in Hackney, a local uh, London borough, as a fundraising arm for a Saturday instrumental program. Um, I've been there for 20 years, and my co-director, Adam, for uh, 22 years. And since then, um, Adam actually is American, and... Um, he brought a lot of ideas uh, with him, and so we're quite an Anglo-American partnership. Um, What we've tried to do is uh, show how music and the arts can be embedded across all learning, and that's our sort of USB. So we've commissioned a lot of works over the years, often operas, um, for mainly children to perform, sometimes community operas, but our focus now is on on young people. Um, And all our topics are complex themes often that involve some sort of prejudice um, and diversity um, and to use those as means of linking into other uh, uh, learning so across the curriculum so we have um, operas uh, jazz opera about the negro leagues in baseball um, which was a way of teaching segregation but as well as performing in the opera um, there's a whole band of resources so children could learn their maths through baseball stats they could learn perfect their sort of English writing through um, lyrics, and then we also um, taught them baseball. And at one point, we had some funding from the American Embassy and had some Marines come and do some baseball training with them. So that was great. Um, Our most recent project, uh, Trench Brothers, um, was a four-year project commemorating ethnic minority soldiers in the First World War. Um, And that was a project that went to schools across across the UK and culminated in a large-scale production. But it was a series of workshops that children underwent. So they would meet an Indian soldier. They made their own Indian and uh, Caribbean uh, British West Indies Regiment soldier puppets. They created lyrics, writing a letter home, as if they were a soldier. They were given different research, um, soldiers to research, and then worked with a composer and set their lyrics to music um, and then they would have a team who would come in and perform in school including their letter song and then when we did a large-scale production at the end we brought many of those letters together and orchestrated it and had sort of 250 performers. Uh, We did a big international project on the Holocaust Um, that was a libretto, uh, Trench Brothers was also a libretto I wrote but the Holocaust Hear Our Voice was children's writings that I'd researched, um, poetry, uh, letters, diaries written by children during the Holocaust, bringing them together in a piece. And we work with children in London, Nuremberg and Prague, culminating in a piece where children from all three countries toured all three countries, um, along with artwork. So we do lots of varied things. We also work in prisons, using music to rehabilitate young offenders. Um, and we have a big Saturday program, which uh, you can start when you're one. Uh, we have children who are 15 who I've known since they were one doing the project. Um, there's music theatre, there's instrumental, there's a big jazz academy and a big um, special needs program. So we have a big range of work. That Oh my goodness, there is so much to unpack in there. That is so extraordinary. <laughs> the, the thing that grabbed me, I, I would have loved as a kid for professionals to come in and help me write music and then perform it on a stage. That sounds so empowering and exciting it's an amazing experience and 
almost all our commissions and we've commissioned 40 plus works over the 60 plus works of the years most of them are start as a devising experience with participants with young people because mm. it does it gives an ownership it is empowering the the holocaust project was all about children's voices today responding to children's voices um, and so they were really instrumental in 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 bringing those words to life in ways that that resonated with them mm. so it's a it's an amazing process Actually. Were you able to get a sense of what the kids got out of it at the end, like their sense of history or their sense of empathy? I mean, obviously, like the practical skills of, of writing and research, but were you able to kind of get a concrete sense of how it impacted their view of the world? That's a great question. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, in terms of sort of filling funding reports and ticking boxes, we've got lots of different evaluation methods that go on along. Uh, sometimes it's writing things, sometimes it's it's videoing conversations, talking to children. But I think what is definitely a sort of feedback that pervades all of it is what we try and do is take big subjects, but but deal with individuals within them. So with the Holocaust, you were learning one child's story. And with Trench Brothers, it was one particular soldier's story who you got to know, got to know as far as you can get to know. With Shadow Ball, we, we dealt with uh, individual characters, and that's what also with STEM sisters. So that um, in, in getting to know individuals, um, the response is always that there's a different sort of empathy. It's different. It's impossible to understand six million, but it's much easier to understand and identify with a child of your age, um, or or a historical woman, or a specific, you know, whatever the subject is. So yes, I think um, we have had a lot of feedback about how it's changed people's views of of of, of large scale issues, whether it's anti-Semitism um, and understanding, particularly for. British children of, of segregation, because it's something that's an, an anomaly here, you know, and that that isn't talked about and isn't known, even though, of course, uh, we're still always dealing with issues of, of racism. Yes, it brings a different sort of awareness of situations and experiences by by sort of living through them mm. um, as part of the project. Bringing that idea of the specific is actually universal. The more specific it is, the more universal it is. Exactly. The, the smaller it is, the bigger it is in a sort of, yes, absolutely. Oh, I love that poetry. And so what a powerful program for children to have access to, that it's not just, I mean, not I put just in inverted covers, not just performance, but that there's writing and music and research that is part of Absolutely. And, and actually that all their curriculum. So there, over the years, we've developed our resources further so for instance trench brothers we wrote 90 lesson plans so you could do all your maths and all your science and history and even your religious studies and pe through the uh, the themes of the piece um and that's something that personally is hugely important to me because it also has raised ac- academic achievement we've had schools saying you know how it's turned around their teachers thinking because not everyone is good at behind a desk but when you bring, you know, if you are good on a stage or things that, that a lot of the children we've realized, we work with never had the opportunity to do, so they haven't realized is a skill. And then because you're interested, you can bring that back into the learning. So it's, um, it's a sort of full circle way of learning so that hopefully it appeals. Different, different elements appeal to different people. With, with, with Shadow Ball, our baseball opera, lots of kids didn't want to sing, but they love playing baseball. You know, and that brought them in. In, in, in from a different from a different angle and so it's just showing how huge uh, an impact the arts can have across all areas of learning you can learn your maths through through writing you know writing music through rhythms you can learn you can bring dance into um, to history you could you know there's all sorts of um, a little bit of creativity goes a long way oh that is so inspiring and very exciting to think about education in this way, this um, like organic, very rounded, um, bringing multifaceted way as well. Do yeah. you have a background in education? So my background is I did um, an English degree at Cambridge and then went and trained to be an opera singer. So I spent quite a bit of time doing that um, and then started working as a singer in education departments and opera departments. Um, and then I started writing quite a lot of resources 
And then I actually, I won a Churchill Fellowship and went to look at primary school or elementary school education, opera education in the States for two months. Um, and as a little personal history, that I met my husband, who is my co-director now in the company we work together. And so that sort of Anglo-American inspiration went further than, than planned. Um, but but um, And that's how I sort of got into education. He, he was director of education at San Diego Opera at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have formal training in education, but I've written our resources for 20 years. So um, I know something about it. And when I... Uh, so for STEM sisters, I commissioned um, proper science educators because that's not my area of expertise at all. Um, for other projects, I've commissioned, uh, often commissioned the art and design and technology, um, maths. So, so yes, I'll bring in, I'll bring in specialists and experts. So you had HMDT music. You had these huge projects that involved lots of children and traveled very widely and then in 2019 uh, you made the decision to switch to something much more small scale with STEM sisters just a two-person show what inspired and this was pre the pandemic absolutely it was (laughs) extremely good timing but it wasn't it was uh, fortuitous so it's a combination so when we started our projects 20 years ago we would go into a school for a month with a team of three and they would work there every day and teachers would let us work with the children when we needed them and then they had resources that supported the project to work on alongside and that was expensive and we managed to get funding so schools contributed uh, but it was heavily subsidized as the years have gone by and as our education system has become um, more and more stringent and less creative and more tick box it's been harder to find the funding, but also really sadly harder for schools to give up the time. They're always concerned about, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. Um, And so Trench Brothers was a new formula um, by which they had five workshops and we'd come in for a day and complete the project together. And actually it was, um, but they'd have the resources alongside the, along the term. So it wasn't intrusive into what else they needed to get to, it enhanced what, what else they needed to do. Um, but again, it, it, it's quite expensive. We went to 60 schools. Um, it was a fantastic tour, but it's quite a lot. So we wanted to try and find something that would be a bit more logistically viable, but that could reach more children. Um, and we came up with the idea of, so, so alongside seeing the show uh, with STEM sisters, they do get science workshops in school and again, a whole bank of resources. Um, so we're very much hoping they will feel engaged. Um, again, children were part of the composition pro- um, uh, process and our own music theatre programme children recorded at some of the songs in the show. So they're part of the process. I do feel, if I'm really honest, I do feel a sort of sense of loss of not working on a larger scale with the children, but it's also got to be practical. And um you know, this is this is planned as a long-term project, and I hope it can go it can go across the country because we've got three people we need to take with you know the, the, the two puppeteers and the stage manager, not 250 children. So at some point, <laughs> something has to give. Um, so yeah, it's an experiment, and as it turned out, given what's been going on in the world, was extremely good timing um, by luck. <laughs> that is meant to be. For folks who haven't seen it yet, can you tell us more, what is Jinna and the STEM Sisters? So Jinna and the STEM Sisters is inspired by um, extraordinary stories of historical uh, female scientists, engineers, mathematicians, as you've explained, STEM, um, their own personal stories, their own struggles to achieve what they did, uh, often uh, almost always unrecognized. Sometimes Rosalind Franklin Nobel Prize was never even credited to her. Hypatia, Egyptian astronomer, was stoned to death. Um, it's quite complicated to really understand why, but clearly the fact that she was a sort of female teacher had quite a lot to do with it. So so what these people of women gave up um, and what their struggles were is extraordinary. Um, and... Um, so Jinnah is a, is a girl, a budding scientist, lost in a forest, um, 
trying to find her way, but also trying to find metaphorically, you know, who she is. And she meets several different women who each give her a, a scientific gift, uh, such as curiosity or open-mindedness, persistence, creativity, um, as a means of exploring her own identity, but as uh, all gifts that are there to sort of help her find her way out of the forest. Um, and so she has several different encounters and um, comes out realizing that she can do what she wants, she can be who she wants, and that being a scientist is is part. She can contribute part of to part of the greater whole of who these people were. Wh- whether she becomes well known, whether she achieves something great, or just contributes something really small. Either way. Uh, everything is is meaningful Mm. it is for folks listening you have until april 11th to stream it and get thee to vimeo and stream it because it is such a beautiful show and as you mentioned the stories of these women are, are complicated and dark and often not happy and i love that this musical doesn't shy away from those stories even though this is aimed at children it's is able to tell, show that darkness in a really beautiful, um, empowering way, I feel. It's so lovely to hear that because you never quite know whether you've got it right. And, uh, you know, for you saying that, which is exactly what our aim is, someone else will always see it slightly differently and, you know, not get that. Uh, I feel because we've written so many shows for children, um, I'd, I'd like to think that something that's well, something that's really important for us is not patronising them, not looking down at them. So yes, when you go, you might not know what an algorithm is, but the whole point is the show will tell you. And there might be lots of words you don't know. Um, if you're doing the project in school, you'll do some preparation, so you might, you know, learn a bit about these women before you start. But if you come in cold, they're there to tell you, and you'll you'll take what you get from it. And if you want to go and find out more, we've got a program with more detail, but there's also Google. There's, there's lots and lots of ways of, of, of finding out more. And it's really about um, everybody getting what they, what they, uh, I don't quite, everyone getting what they get from it. You know, people get things on different levels. Um, we don't, you know, we do work with big topics and we don't believe in shying away from them, but we also um, want to make it fun. So it's not a roll around laugh a minute, but I hope there's enough sort of humor and lightness in in the puppets. And that's why also puppetry was um, a really interesting new uh, for art form for us. We worked a little bit with puppets and Trench Brothers. And what we found was um, there's a there's a sort of remove about working with puppetry where you can embody the character um, but you don't have to, you know, you don't physically look like anybody because the puppet's doing the work for you. Um, and actually a reviewer wrote how interesting it was that the masks were actually, which was was, was a, a COVID safety precaution, but it sort of made the, the puppeteers um, even more um, sort of, uh, there's a better word than removed that I can't come up with, but more sort of objective from them. Um, and, and, and actually, it helped. made like less visible. Yeah, even though they're and, right and there. <laughs> exactly, um, and therefore, although you admired their their mastery and skillfulness in dealing with the puppetry, is not about them. Um, we weren't pretending they weren't there, but but everything they did, they put into the puppets. And so, you know, I, I think that really, I hope that really helps bring the puppets and therefore the women to life as vividly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we chose women there's a huge choice and therefore it was quite difficult to sort of narrow down who we wanted to include. And we had different criteria. Um, one of which was actually a, a sort of education criteria that because the project is supported by lots of resources, we wanted to choose women whose actual work and field of work would link into our key stage two curriculum um, so that we could write resources that are about these ways of showing how these women and their work fits into what they're learning at the time so there were some amazing people doing amazing things but actually that wasn't going to work in terms of our sort of education aim um we wanted a big range of historical periods we wanted um as much diversity as possible that's limited because of you know of history not because of our choice but because you know history scientists weren't 
was difficult enough being a woman, um, you know, so there's not as much diversity um, from a woman 300 years ago as obviously if we're doing something now. So we had different criteria and we wanted to work in different fields. So we wanted to make sure that we had, you know, sort of like Hedy Lamarr, who's an inventor, or Ada Lovelace, who's a mathematician, um, Mary Curie, who branches between physics and chemistry, but is sort of extraordinarily unique. And then someone who was quite a find like Maria Sibylla Marian, who was um, a 17th century naturalist and illustrator who who traveled with her daughters to Suriname, um, South America, from Holland. I mean, how that even happened is quite extraordinary in itself. Um, and and uh, drew beautiful, beautiful pictures of insects and flowers, um, um, unknown um, spe- special, you know. Um, special That's one of my favorite moments in the mm. show when you, the reveal of her illustrations is oh, so, did you like that? so delightful and unexpected. And I like literally gasped out loud because I was like, oh, that's so clever. It's just the whole, I won't give away the device of it, but it's, it's a very just, simple it's, device. Yeah, but it, it, it's so very powerful. basic, but I think it's, yeah. Um, it's just sort of interesting how technically we wanted to go as well. I mean, it was, that was a sort of ongoing discussion mm-hmm. um, with with my uh, fantastic team of how much we we uh, are going into a sort of uh, multimedia world and how much it's actually sort of um, core puppetry. And uh, well, I think yes, the audience will hope. Hopefully, if people do watch it, they'll they'll find out and decide for themselves whether you made the right decisions. But one thing being new to puppetry I hadn't appreciated is is quite different is that we used a lot of different styles of puppets uh, whereas most productions will decide that it's marionettes or whatever so we have Ada Lovelace is a marionette so she can lock and pop and boogie to her rap um, we have rod puppets and then we have um, some sort of oriental uh, wayangolic and kulit styles for Hypatia so she's a much uh bigger puppet um, and it's very arm based because she's also sort of uh, links with the stars so she doesn't walk she doesn't have legs mm. she floats um, she's much more in the spheres the puppetry um, com- is so beautiful and uh, from what I read in the program it's just, it's several different people that created the puppets um, so Sophia uh, Level Smith she designed them all um, but we use different puppet makers, partly for exactly that reason that people specialize in different styles of puppetry, partly um, on a practical level. By the time our funding did come through, our schedule was quite tight and it made <laughs> sense to to, um, to field it out to different people. But actually, I love that because I think we've uh, come up with a diversity, diversity of, puppet, of puppets themselves. Um, not just in the choices of women, but it, by by having a series of different makers on, I think that's um, you know they're very ununiform in a way that I think hopefully is is, is interesting. And the the designs are stunning. Like you mentioned, Ada Lovelace's dress, the way it moves is so fun and just delightful to watch. And Hypatia's dress, also the the lights are so beautiful. The, her dress is, um, has fairy lights underneath it, and it's it's just very it's very effective. I'm curious if that I noticed that most of the production team and creative team are women. Was that a conscious choice? It was very much a conscious choice, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and a really exciting choice because um, some of the some of the women we've worked with before, um, but some were new to us. And I, I love putting teams together and I love uh, working with and meeting new people. And it did have, um, it was different. It was a different sense of collaboration than there's been on other um, projects. And um, there was a sort of, I'll get into trouble for saying this. There's a different way of how women, I mean, they, it was sort of more chat, actually, was what I was going to say, was was the outside perception. So that's why I'm being a bit careful here about whether I'll let you include that bit. Um, but there was um, a different sort of level of support that was quite interesting. Um, lots more emails about, oh, I love that, and that really worked. It was, it was a very collaborative process. It was very sort of warm and open, and, um, yeah, it was really interesting. It wasn't just the, you know, the, the the writer and designer and director and composer. It was also the band um, and obviously the singers 
um, you know, so yeah, and stage manager, production manager, as far as we could go, um, I tried to make that work. The women that are featured, the stories that are told in the musical are very diverse, but so are the musical styles. And Jenny Gould's gorgeous score is, it's very eclectic. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that was a really exciting part. And um, Jenny, I've worked with Jenny before and she's written letter songs for Trench Brothers and she's been music director on several shows, but we hadn't given her a whole commission. Um, and I really love that process. So something I discussed a lot with Rachel, the writer, is how we wanted um, the women to inhabit historical musical styles. And she built that in really beautifully to the lyrics. Um and then Jan, Jenny transposed it fantastically into the score. And, and we worked really closely on that. So she did a lot of research into Egyptian sounding music, for instance. Um, and Caroline Herschel was an 18th century astronomer, um, actually sang Handel and premiered some of his stuff. Her brother, who's also an astronomer, um, was a new Handel. And so she, she was a very, uh, she was diminutive women she's a very small lady um, I don't know what her voice would have been like but I really wanted to that was sort of very obvious to me that she we had to have some handle um, and so Jenny incorporated this brilliant sort of going from a few chords into a sort of pseudo queen of Sheba and then coloratura and and Jenny started writing some coloratura and I just said look you can go further let's really get it out there let's get those top C's let's get those runs going and and um it was really good giving her the sort of freedom to go sort of mad. But then extraordinarily in the same number, she goes into a, a, a sort of quasi-Chinese um, pentatonic sound for, for Wang Zhenyi um, and then transcends into Mae Jemison, the first uh, African-American astronaut, female astronaut, um, and goes into a sort of 80s sort of funk soul number. And she does that all within one number, which I think is, is, is she does really magnificently um, and sort of ending with our sort of theme tune of STEM Sisters. So that was fun. And then Marie Curie, um, Claire, the director, did turn to me and said, I don't know how you gave Marie Curie a patter song, a sort of Gilbert and Sullivan-like patter song when she's a really serious woman and it's all about her death. Um, but that was something that I took great pleasure in, that it was completely unexpected, um, that it's sort of quite a, you know, it's a very serious number, but it's really funny um, and and witty and very fast. Um, and, then, and then Ada Lovelace, um, her work was with computers with Charles, Babbage and the analytical engine and she foresaw that the computer would one day be used to make music so music technology was a sort of obvious step we wanted to get in that digital soundscape um, and Jenny used a lot of electronic music which was new for her so that was you know she she went through <laughs> lots of big learning curves and Ada has a really funny rap um, with a you know going to do 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 the robot <laughs> so yeah, I, I tried to the robot r robot dancing rapping Ada Lovelace is <laughs> it's such a highlight for me, and her her costume is so great. I would love a full size version of that costume, please, if you could do you know, I, with your designer. <laughs> <laughs> It'll uh, it probably won't come cheap. She, I thought, just, um, what Sophia did was brilliant. Was she put the crinoline outside? Um, so she's sort of half dressed. You see this sort of crinoline frame, but she's attached these little punch computer punch cards to it. Um, and she's tried to incorporate elements of that, that each woman's scientific skills into to every costume. So Maria Sibylla Marion has her own illustrations woven into her dress. And, and like you mentioned, with her patient with the, the stars and the lights under. Um, so I just sort of feel that learning can be on so many levels. And, and we just try to combine and include as many as possible. And the music is such a sort of obvious learning curve for me. And there will be children who, you know, they won't know who Handel is and they won't have listened to it. But, you know, somewhere subliminally you'll sort of take in these different soundscapes and you might not necessarily know what they refer to, um, but hopefully there comes a point of recognition at some point in time. And even, even if it's not obvious, um it's it's part of you know the whole world that you're embracing the historical world
Mm. And you, you mentioned much earlier that um, you had the children's chorus were on the recording for this show. And uh, some of those children have been with the company since they were babies. They have. Um, we've had, yes, yeah, so some of them have been in, in Music Box, which is something that I run for under five since they were very little. And many of my senior group in the music theatre programme um, have been in that since they were five, so sort of nine or ten years, which is really lovely. Um, it's quite attached to them. Um, and that was, it was it was really special to involve them because we're in lockdown here, so we can't have any face-to-face sessions. So they had to learn all the music through Zoom sessions, which was really not easy. Um, and we gave... The worst thing about lockdown when you're trying to teach music theatre is you can't you can't sing, you can't actually do anything musical that's shared. You can only do that one-on-one. So our instrumental tuition has been okay, but that's really been a struggle. So we're sort of learning things in the group and you don't really know what they're coming out with. So I gave quite a lot of one-to-one sessions um, and some of them, it's quite difficult music, so some of them were struggling and even till we got them in the room, we didn't quite know what we were going to get. Um, so... Uh, and, and they had such a wonderful time, um, as did um, Ellie Eloise, who sang The World of Ginna. She's also a child on, on the course, um, and she she found it an amazing experience. I think um, my, if, to get into if I have studio. any criticisms of the show, it's that uh, it's a shame we don't get to see all the singers because the music is so glorious and the singing is so beautiful. It's... I, I actually didn't realize until the end that it wasn't the puppeteers. I mean, I figured out once the voices, you know, changed that uh, that it wasn't the puppeteers doing all the singing. And I I don't know how that could be incorporated in a future. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, you sort of have to see the program, don't you, to get that. But in a way, in a way, I quite like the anonymity of it. But I can. But you sort of, yeah, you sort of miss something. Yeah, well. and yeah, I don't think there's an easy way around that. No, well, especially that um, the the cast you have assembled is so diverse, and um, that you have um, is it uh, Nadine Benjamin, a lyric soprano, who is also a woman of color. Um, to see, I think it's really important for for kids to see that that um, yeah. you know we have the representation of the women in STEM, but also the the performers are important too yes no it's true um it's well I mean in a way what's been wonderful about making this as a film which is not as it was planned um you know it's planned as a live show is there's things to be learned from it so there are things that we can think I don't know whether that's something we could include but it's just it's really important to sort of understand and know that one thing I'd like to add to the teaching resources is a little sort of interview with all of the team, and that would include the singers about what their job is, what what they like about it, you know, how they got into it. Because I think there's so many different things you can learn from backstage as well as performing stage. And so with the singers, um, Abigail Kelly is also um, a, a black soprano, and she's uh, she's a fabulous singer. She sings Caroline Herschel. So you know, there there, there are there's lots of different um, understandings of, of of who everybody is. So yes, I think yeah, that there's always things that you can improve on and change. And um, and I was very glad we you know, we had a, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I was it felt really important to sort of have a young girl singing Gina. Um, you know, Ellis fifteen, so she's Gina's slightly ageless, maybe probably a bit younger, eleven, whatever. But you know, so that it wasn't all grown up sounds as well, and so that you had different a different sound world for every woman. As I was watching, like, there's something, like you said, very powerful about using puppets because they can do things that regular people cannot and they can say things that regular people cannot, Which and there's a lot of magic in that. But I also had this sense of, as I was watching it, I would love to see it with human people, like this show performed with humans, and I would I would love the children's chorus to appear and to be, Eloise yeah. to be like a Matilda. <laughs> There's yeah, I mean it, it it's really odd for me having done 
for so many years shows with children I, I did I sort of miss that and there's things that you realize they provide uh, a whole nother level of sort of engagement of seeing children on stage but yeah I do I I, I miss that uh, I think it's the right thing uh, on all sorts of practical levels but um, yeah I mean I think there's another production that you know has a film back backdrop as well where you could sort of bring in things but um yeah so what was the decision obviously with the pandemic but what was the decision to film stem sisters and release it online so so that was definitely pandemic driven we've never made uh, we've always filmed our shows but we've never made a film uh without doing the show if you see what i mean so that was another new learning curve um so originally we we thought because we knew we would have to wait a long time to go into to theaters we thought let's get get the project up and running let's get the production made and created and let's just show it to schools uh in the first phase of the project so there's 20 schools who start the project in may again that was delayed slightly because of lockdown um and they have workshops they work with resources and I've done a an inset introductory session with them and they see the show as part of it um and that was going to be it and then um we budgeted for PR because we wanted to sort of spread the word I mean it's and and the person we work with said well you won't get any reviews unless it's shown to the public because that's how it works so we thought oh and then it became a whole different project um that so it was never really intended for public mm. viewing until it went live. Um, so that's op opened up lots of, of different uh, things, partly as well because because we never really needed to do much marketing because we've always had always had an inbuilt audience. Either we've worked in a theatre that's got its own audience or when you've got lots of children performing, you've got lots of parents and don't have to look too far. Um, <laughs> so that's been a totally new learning curve because we've sort of started slightly with uh, with zero. So working with a marketing company and our social media has not been our strong point because there's actually only three of us who who run the, working in the company apart from lots of freelancers. So, so there's sort of quite a lot. So, so the film sort of came about in different ways. Um, and there was also the decision which was linked to covid of you know do we do a socially distanced film um so that we don't have to worry about anything and we realized that that wasn't the show that we wanted to produce so we we decided very early on that we wanted to make the show that goes into theaters but ensure it's safe hence the masking um which um which has turned out i think as a as a sort of plus um to, to artistically um, and then an awful lot of work went in by Tammy our production manager who was great who just done a um, diploma in health and safety sort of huge amount of wipes and gloves and or not gloves and you know this and that and each person had their own cup and you know temperature checks and, and <laughs> yeah exactly you filmed yeah. at the Millfields Theatre yeah so what was the process um so we were really lucky, actually. We um, were very lucky. Little Angel Theatre, which is a specialist puppet company um, who we've worked with before, they very kindly gave us uh, their rehearsal space, uh, donated that to us. And Millfield Theatre, which is a local theatre, um, it's part of Enfield, which is a local borough that HMDT Music is based in. Uh, they have two or three theatres and originally they were going to um, host the premiere of the live show in their small theatre. That small space is now being used for as a testing centre so that was out of action. <laughs> so we, so they offered the, the larger space and again we're extremely generous about um, our, our use of it um, so we were able to rehearse there for a week before filming it and it's a lovely sort of 400 seater theatre which was perfect uh, so it gave us, you know, good perspective also for our fantastic photographer, Clive Barder. Uh, we've got some really beautiful photos from him um, and for the, the film crew to to sort of, you know, get some space and uh, distancing in it. And, and basically, we sort of rehearsed the show, um, teched it, got the final recordings and then just spent two days filming it. So it was quite a, so we feel, we decided to sort of mainly film it as if we were doing a live show. 
um, but they got several takes and then edited it together. Um, and most of the film is quite straightforward. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time asking for close-ups or distancing or including things. The only time we sort of really played with photography, um, the filming was in the Marie Curie scene. I don't know whether you noticed where she grew. And we had a bit of an Alice in Wonderland thing. I just wanted to create something a bit different for her. Um, something you know, to, to vary the pace. And just because she, you know, she is larger than everything about her was rather extraordinary. So I hope, I hope that worked because that was quite fun. Yes, very much so. And how many cameras did you use in the filming? Uh, we had two camera people mm-hmm. and three cameras, a fixed camera. Um, but I think they had different cameras on the two days they were there. Um, so I don't know. I, I probably should know that. I don't know whether there were five different cameras used or three, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And I so you had there's um like from the kind of I say back of the auditorium, it's not really that any it's not that anymore, but it kind of that sort of um wide shot getting the whole space um angle and then um from the sides. And then from the, the yeah, so I mean a wonderful thing about not so they've always had to to, to film with an audience which uh, is great but also noisy and gets in the way so they could have the whole space to themselves so sometimes they were very close they, they didn't actually go onto the stage partly as a distancing thing partly because they had good enough cameras not to need to so yes they were at the sides of the stage or at the front and sort of moving along mm. as they needed to um, occasionally they you know asked for one section specially so they could get a particular close-up or something but on the whole they sort of made it work with what 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 was just happening anyway as part of the rehearsal. The only other thing we did is we recorded all the music separately in a in a great recording studio called the premises. Um and then I suddenly realized uh probably should have been obvious, but sort of we hadn't really thought about um the the dialogue needing to be recorded separately behind masks and also because of the timing with the uh, with the music. Um, so that was quite interesting. We had to find a quiet room in the theatre. And there are a few gurgles that we had to get rid of, of pipes and things. It, was, it wasn't it was specifically set up for a, a recording studio. Um, but the puppeteers watched um, a, a sort of, you know, run through and, and spoke um, into mics while they were seeing the action so they could time it. And of course, the sort of advantage of a mask is that we didn't have to sync everything perfectly so it actually worked quite well and we got a much better sound quality than than we would have done had we not done that it's edited so beautifully that honestly it took me I I don't remember how long but it took me a while before I realized oh actually the music is pre-recorded it felt live it it feels it feels like it's happening in the moment I you know it yeah, like I said, it took it took me a while to realize. Oh wait, these are multiple voices that aren't coming from these two women. <laughs> that's uh, that's really great to hear. Um, we didn't. I didn't really know how well a film would resonate. I mean, there's nothing that beats live theatre, but but films do offer you you know other options. They offer you different ways of seeing seeing, seeing things. Particularly, I think with a proximity with a the puppets and the um, the delicacy of them. I think there is, um, you, you know, you get to see, there's an intimacy. Um, getting to see that beautiful detail. Yes, that you, yeah. you, I mean, we will only ever perform it in small auditoriums, but even so, the sort of film gave, gave another perspective. So it's really nice to hear that the music didn't feel extraneous, that it felt sort of um, part of it. Oh, very much so. And like I said, if, you know, if I were to see it live, I I would love to have it all be live. I would love the whole orchestra, the band, and all the voices. I want to be able to see them too, even if they're separate. I mean, I, it becomes a whole other production. But <laughs> and I I see the dollar signs just running. <laughs> I was just going to say, show me the money, whatever, <laughs> whatever that film is. Uh... And with your yeah. previous recordings, were they for archival purposes, or are they available somewhere? Um. So some are, uh, I don't know whether any are, I think Trench Brothers is on our website. 
um, and maybe shadow ball now. So they were for archival purposes, really, they were to give to the, the performers. And we used to make these very beautiful packs, uh, pre-digital. We would, uh, I think we've been incredibly lucky for years uh, to work with Clive Barder, who's uh, a really renowned uh, performance photographer, sort of worldwide, um, who's fantastic and um, is also a friend and therefore sort of, it, it, we're very lucky to work with him. So the quality of what we've produced has been amazing. And we also work with an amazing graphic designer, Raphael Whittle. Um, so, I, you know, I do, I am very proud of how, how good our stuff looks. So we used to produce these gorgeous things, uh, which is now online. And um, so, yeah, the, the main purpose was, yes, records archival, but also to give, you know, to all those performers who'd worked so hard, a sort of memento. Um, but we have started to realize that, you know, we've got some great things that we should put out there. Um, and if we can work out a sort of the marketing, um, we should show them. I mean, actually, Shadow Ball, I think, would really, really resonate for an American audience. Um, it's a really fun show. There's one adult, Cleveland Watkins, who's an amazing jazz singer, but lots of great kids. And these are not kids who are auditioned. They're kids who are in a school, takes classes in the school. And so you get a sort of... Um, you get everything, but this amazing amount of talent and energy, and it was a show they had such fun doing. Um, and yes, we we realised that we we should start to work out how to. I mean, we're selling this film on Vimeo, just on our own website. Um, so that was an interesting sort of research to work out the best uh, way of actually showing showing the show. Um, you know, the film, and and we have other shows. Uh, Shadow Ball and Hear Our Voice, uh, that, that sh should have a wider audience. We just, where we struggle is we, the, there's three of us and we're always trying to, you know, I've got to run all the projects and I'm the main fundraiser um, and, and I conduct them, you know, sort of, uh, we just never quite have the time and I think it's a, a weakness of the company to, to, you, to, to take what we've done and, and get it out there. That's mm -hmm. something, you know, I think if I had a wish list, it would be a fairy godmother who comes and helps us sort of <laughs> to do that. Um, because, yeah, I think we've got some shows that, that would be of interest. And even though they were filmed differently, they're still very good quality mm. films. Certainly as a result of the pandemic, pandemic uh, a ton of shows have been made available online and to the general public, uh, like you said, yeah. that haven't been made available before. Do you think that as a result of the past year, that streaming or filming shows for public consumption will be a part of HMDT's model going forward? I think it needs to be. And I think we need to, as I say, work out how to use what we've got, but also think about going forward. I do think, um, as I've, I've mentioned, we, we suffer from not having an inbuilt audience uh, because we're not a venue. So we need to find a way around that. Um, but I think. You know, the sort of old adage out of adversity comes something or other. You know, we've learned a huge amount this year. It's been very difficult for everybody. Um, but it has been really interesting creatively to think outside of the box and realize how much more you can do in ways uh, that we would never have dreamt of. Like this film, you know, I suddenly thought, well, we don't have to sit and wait. Let's 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 do this. And And now we've done this, we know how to do it and therefore um you know you start using we were going to do just a little show with our music theater group of um to commemorate ve day last may and we'd started rehearsing and we it was a show that was several of our own second world war commissions uh we've got lots of different music and um and you know suddenly we couldn't finish and just before we locked down i suddenly I don't know, came to me that we needed to film all the rehearsals that we'd done to date. So we just did it on our phones, but it meant we had a record and we made a film. Um, it wasn't a, a film that I would show publicly, but it, we of, it was a combination of, of rehearsal footage, so not costumed, um, archival images. We then asked children to record some of the songs that hadn't been finished and put them together. Um, put all the individual solo lines into choruses. And we asked them also to, to, to 
create some of their own uh, monologues and artwork. And we sort of put it all together and we called it a, a scrapbook. Um, and it was really interesting, sort of artistically, some things were added that would never have been there. So sort of the combination of particularly the archival images and and the sort of, you know, in their tracksuit sort of training clothes, you know, was actually worked really well. And then having one of their pictures, uh, you know, sort of put it, put them amidst the scene so um that sort of really inspired me to think about how much you can do that you never would have thought about had you not needed to and how much further there is to go and I'm sure um you know I haven't kept up enough with what other companies have done um because I never have time (laughs) but um you know I people have clearly come up with sort of really exciting things to do so yeah I think the world have changed I never would want to lose live theatre there's nothing like sitting in a room with people but there are an awful lot of other things that you can do that are interesting and I think all of the educational resources that you have and the amazing um, curriculums that you have alongside the shows grown-ups love that stuff too and I'm thinking of like people that do homeschooling and especially now with you know so many people are still hybrid learning and that what a tremendous resource to have. It's not just a show, it's a math curriculum and a science curriculum. And like, there's, I'm, I'm picturing kind of like a DVD pack. That's, it's not just a show. It, there are extras, there's behind the scenes, you can meet the artists and that's, that's very exciting. And, and I feel like you already have that content. We, we, I mean, it, that's what we sort of started to realize last year that we do have a lot of that content from other shows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the sort of putting together the time and the resource uh, and whether it's a DVD or whether it's just more sort of online, but somehow, but a sort of subscription or, or something. Um, it is something we, we should invest in. I mean, we particularly, we do a lot of commemorative things. I don't really know why, but we've done quite a lot of sort of, I mean, I think everyone's probably fed up of the Second World War, but it's also a really good way of learning. And um, a lot of our projects, as, you, as you've gathered, are sort of history-based. And, um, you know, it's an interesting way of, of, of learning things that, that need to be remembered. Um, I think when we think about, I mean, Adam is already saying, my colleague, what's next? Because we always have to, we also always have to think financially. We've got to start fundraising for the next thing for our survival. So it becomes a sort of, um, you know, what I think what's next, whatever next is, will be in incorporate these different formats um, inherently, be built into it. That it's got to somehow have a bigger reach and a, a bigger potential, and sort of combine those elements. That is yeah. very exciting. I. I know it's a huge undertaking. It's it's one thing to create live theatre. That's a huge undertaking in itself. And I, I know that digital adds a whole whole other world of logistics and considerations. But um, as someone I'm who not... loves consuming theatre online and, and digitally uh, and sees the potential for it and the, the reach of it and how it democratises theatre and there's a whole, you know, it's it's very exciting to me. It, it will be a part of your future. That's lovely to hear. It's it's really interesting. I am not very technologically uh, astute. Luckily, my colleagues are. Um, so it's also sort of understanding what's possible. Mm. It's a, a sort of interesting second journey as well. You know, how much further can you go? What could we add? Yeah. Um, as, as Gina and the STEM sisters say, oh, where is the quote? Um, I wrote it down. I, I loved it so much. Anything is possible. Everything is possible. Exactly. <laughs> to bring it back around. <laughs> so, exactly. Oh, this has been so wonderful learning more about HMDT and about the show. Um, so I have some questions that I ask all my guests. Um, I, I might adjust this one slightly knowing that you have a, an opera background, but do you have a favorite musical or opera? So, um, since I've been conducting our music theatre program, I've uh, been introduced to a wealth of musicals that I didn't know. I mean, I, as a child, loved 
Sound of Music and Mary Poppins in the sort of standard way. Um, and I've actually really enjoyed entering a whole new world of music. I think it would probably have to be West Side Story. I, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic on all levels. Um, it's brilliant score. Uh, I know Bernstein doesn't like the words anymore, but uh, it's just, it's a brilliant, the film version, the choreography, it's just extraordinary. Uh, I, I absolutely weep. I can't watch it very often because it's too painful. <laughs> I think it's also an extraordinary adaptation of a play and shows how how extraordinary Shakespeare is because he just works everywhere in all sorts of versions. I, I love that. Do you have, and I'm, I'm guessing, I know you've been very busy working on shows, so it's difficult to watch other shows while you're working on them. Um, do you have a favourite uh, show that has been filmed live? Uh, Billy Elliot. Oh, yes, Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. Oh, I yeah. love that capture. It's absolutely it's oh, brilliant. It's so good. I'm re- actually, I'm really annoyed. For some reason, I never saw it live. Oh. Um, but so I've only seen the film version. So I hope that counts. Absolutely. Under your, your question. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah, I oh, totally piece. agree on that one. So you referred to Jenna and the Stem Sisters as a film. And like you said, there's nothing that replaces the live theatre experience. So when we film a live show, it's not exactly theatre and it's not quite a film either. So what should we call it? Oh, I think you've got me there. <laughs> Do you have, I don't know, what, what, what? It's a what main some... question. I don't know either. <laughs> it's, it's something I'm obsessed with that I think what we're like what you've created with Jeanette and the Stem Sisters is it's its own thing. It's it's not the quite the theater show, but it's not it's not the sound of music, like the No, Jeanette and it's not version. you know, it's not an on location, it's very much a Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very good question. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a good answer to that. I think that's okay. Good for thought. <laughs> Where do you stand on bootlegs? Artists need, you know, to earn a living. So anything that takes away from what was, from most of them, something very, probably a very meager payment uh, is a bad thing. Um, so I, I would say I'm, you know, against that. I've never been asked that question. So it's a fascinating question. Um, I do believe, you know, as many people as possible should see things. But I don't think it's necessary to steal in this day and age and things can be found you know at very reasonable cost so no it's a no-go what do you wish had been filmed i think i don't know enough about what i've seen whether it has been filmed or not i think probably i don't have oh i know what actually uh, an amazing production by trevor nunn quite recent production of fiddler on the roof that was done in london probably a couple I've lost sense of time two I think two years ago um where we were luckily enough to be sitting in the stalls and he had made the whole of the stalls into a little shuttle so you were sort of sitting in the village it was oh, shuttle wow. even sorry not shuttle shuttle <laughs> and so you and it was a, again a very intimate theater which musicals are not often done with so you know you were really part of the action it was absolutely brilliant production mm. I think um Shtetl how do you say it it's going to bother me now Shtetl yeah Shtetl <laughs> you were sitting in this little village in the auditorium you were part of the community um and I think that would be an amazing film because there'd be mm-hmm. a really brilliant way of incorporating sort of those as far to my knowledge it hasn't been filmed I wish um, there was a production last uh, two years ago in New York. Um, oh, I forget the name of the company. Folksbeam. Uh, they did a production of Fiddler all in Yiddish. And oh, wow. I've seen Fiddler. Like, you know, it's just one of those shows that everybody does and you've seen it a thousand times and I know the movie and I know the score. And it felt like watching it for the first time. First time. It's so, I can imagine that. Extraordinary. Transported there. It's so real. And it didn't matter that you 
didn't understand it because you knew it. There were subtitles. Um, oh, right. Yeah, but it, it was so powerful that I, I wish that one had been filmed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, what would you like to see filmed in the future? Oh, well, actually, I, I think that is Matilda um, because it, I believe they are making a film of it. They're in the process. One of my colleagues uh, who's been working with us the last few months, really luckily, we've been able to work with him again because he's the children's music director on the London show and hasn't been able to, to work on it. Uh, so I believe that it is being made into a film. I think it's a really brilliant musical. Um, and the films of the book, I don't care for once I've seen, but there is, to my knowledge, a film of the musical yet. I think that mm. that has massive potential. Oh, I would love to see that film live from the West End. Yeah. That's one of my favourites too. <laughs> it's a really great great things i love doing it with our kids i mean they just love singing it oh tosha this has been so much fun thank you so much for your likewise time for me it's been a real pleasure thank you so so much Jinna and the stem sisters is available on demand from hmdt.org until april 11 you can find links in the show notes filmed live musicals is a labor of love and we'd like to thank everyone who makes it possible Thank you to our patrons, Josh Brandon, Mercedes Esteban, Rachel Esteban, James T. Lane, David Negrin, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Al Monaco, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, and Beck Twist for your support. If you'd like to support filmed live musicals, please like and review on your podcast app. Find us on Twitter at Musicals on Screen and on Facebook at Filmed Live Musicals. If you'd like to support the site financially, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash musicals on screen. No matter what level you're able to pledge, you receive early access to written content and early access to this very podcast. Visit www.filmedlivemusicals.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.